Welcome to Bottle of White, Bottle of Red, the podcast that pairs the albums of Billy Joel with fine wine. From Cold Spring Harbor to the River of Dreams, grab a glass of your favorite vino and let's dive into the work of the Piano Man. And it's all spice out the shade. Oh, I am an innocent man. Oh, yes, I am. Welcome to Bottle of White, Bottle of Red, a podcast about Billy Joel and music. I'm Corey Cavan. Uh, Billy Joel and wine. Dang it. Music and wine. Wine and Billy Joel. Can we start over? Sure. Just leave it in. I think we already have. Welcome to Bottle of White Bottle of Red, <laughs> a podcast about wine and Billy Joel. Who's, who knows what we'll use? Hey, Bill, how's it going? Hey, Corey. How's it going? I didn't answer you. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, I, uh, uh, we're back. We're, we're back uh, oh, yeah. in America. Yes. We made it back from Mexico. Mexico. The Mexican Connection. Josh Lay was on uh, yeah. uh, our last episode. Check it out if you haven't already. Yeah. Uh, but we are back in our normal recording location. That's right. Uh, New York, state of mind. And we today are talking about William Joel's yes. uh, 1983 album, An Innocent Man. Wow. Wow. Uh, lots to talk lots about. Of, God, so much to talk about. A uh, lot of thoughts on this one. But before we get to it, yep, let's get to it. Let's get uh, to it. We have some delicious white wine and some delicious red wine that we're going to be pairing with side A and side B of this album. Mm-hmm. And uh, as always, we start with the white. And we have Catherine from Celery Wine in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. We were both there today. Fantastic spot. Such a good wine store. Amazing. Like, it really is amazing. And I found out today they actually have a cellar yeah. down there. I, I, we got we to gotta go down there sometime. I know. I know. Anyway. It's, yeah, it's a great, great spot. Uh, Catherine, tell us, tell us about our wine today. Hi, Corey and Bill. Catherine from Celery here to talk about the two wines we decided to pair with the album An Innocent Man. These two wines are using grapes and are from areas similar to... Uh, the ones that we chose, I believe, for the first episode, um, though these have been aging for much longer, for the longest time, you could say. The Verdicchio is a 2004 Verdicchio from Castelli di Essi, so this is almost 20 years old. The producer is Pia Volta, a teeny tiny little farmer family, you know, dirt beneath the nails, um, just really dedicated to uh, the, the local wines and the, the indigenous grapes of the area. Uh, Verdicchio, um, as you've experienced before, can be absolutely lovely as a young wine, crisp, a little, uh, a little citrus driven, a little grassy, some nice minerality to it. But it also has this potential and capability to age gorgeously um, like a Chablis. This isn't something we talk about very frequently in the wine world. When we think about aged whites, we immediately go to Burgundy and that is, you know, those are some of the most exceptional examples uh, that exist. 
those are great, great pleasure to drink. But when you look at Italian varieties, that's where I get very excited. You can find beautiful examples of aged Fiano, of aged Timarasso, or in this case, aged Verdicchio, um, where you see it coming into these secondary characteristics. It's a little nutty. It's a little savory. It's like this chiseled satin texture. Um, but there's still some nice, vibrant kind of lemon zest, a little bit of a kind of a fresh sage intertwined. It's just absolutely gorgeous. And I hope that you have enjoyed digging into it. Okay. All right. All right. That's the white. Uh, for the longest time. Yeah. And it's an old wine. It's yeah. 2004. That is, uh, I think 2004 vintage. is definitely the longest time a wine has existed before it made its way. To our, to our to our humble podcast, podcast. yeah, uh, I know. Well, what's crazy is we had another Verdecchio, I think, on our second yeah. episode, and I believe it was older, but I think it was like a 2012 or something like yeah. that. Yeah, so this is 2004 is. is, yeah, is I mean, we're this 19 years. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, here we go. Oh. It was. I don't know if it was a wine key thing. That cork was definitely in. Yeah, there. it's got some yaw to it. That, that, I mean, look at look at how the. Cork. Yeah, shaped. I mean it's definitely like yeah, that's wild. It's a little cricket. It's it's a it's an old cork. Yeah. All right, let's get the pours going for our white, and then we'll get into this album. That is true. You forget that when you are drinking an older wine, the cork itself is is a little bit older and yeah, a little more seasoned. I, just looking at it right now, I mean it's not an orange wine, obviously, but it looks very. The color is very kind of rich and yeah, you know. Almost rosé. It's weird. It's like I can't. T- I mean, the light. The light we're in is a very like amber golden light. But yeah, like, it. This looks like uh, this looks like almost like a light beer. It looks like a Miller Light. It's yeah. like that color. Yeah. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Let's get the bouquet. Yeah, you wow. can taste the, the the age or smell it. Hmm. Hmm. There's a. There's a type of candy, but Worth- not one that you would expect. Like a not <clears throat> Werther's. What? Not Werther's. No, hold on. Well, uh, while you're <clears throat> thinking about that, she had like said- good and plenty. Oh, like almost like a licorice kind of. Yeah, but not. It's what were the other ones that weren't good and plenty's? Mike and Ike's. Mike no, and Ike's. no, no. Mike and Ike's are big. Mike and Ike's good and plenty's. Um- anyway, it has it has some sort of. It's good. It's got. A, I mean, this like in a in not a bad way. It's almost got like a. It almost like tastes like a tad acrid at first. Yeah. Um, it's almost like a hard cider. It is almost like a hard cider. Yeah. And it's got a little bit of like green apple kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. So she told us. Yeah. And uh, you know she she had said like this ages. It's it's a Verdecchio, mm-hmm. but it ages like a Chablis. Okay. And it does. I'm going to use that line. <laughs> you know, it's a Verdecchio, but it ages like a Chablis. I say my my buddy Skip, man, he was nineteen. Now he's forty. That guy's a Verdecchio, but he ages like a Chablis. Mm. Um, no, it just it has a little bit of like a yeah. wine mom in the eighties, yeah, kind of white wine taste to it. Yeah, but it's very enjoyable. But what's crazy is, and I've noticed this on old, other older wines I've had, is very complex flavor, incredibly complex, and then it just ends. Mm-hmm. Like there's no lingering taste. You get this complex flavor to a certain point, and then all of a sudden you're just, oh, it's gone. That's true. Okay. Yes. Back to Billy Joel. Mm. Okay. So <clears throat> we got our white. Yep. An Innocent Man. Yeah. The ninth studio album by William Joel uh, came out August 8th, 
1983. Less than a year after Nylon Curtain. Yes, that's yeah. true. Which is interesting because obviously, like the during the CD era, I think the album cycle kind of got longer. Yeah. Um, but even in like the 80s, like less than a year is feels like a quick turnaround. Nylon Curtain was 82, September 23rd, 82. So less than a year. Yeah. And I think what we're going to get into, the big question about this album is, is this a stopgap? So there's something interesting we talked about about Billy Joel a couple episodes ago, which is there are not many covers that he's done. Right. He's not really a cover guy. And one of the things that a lot of artists do, especially like singer-songwriters or you know male or female just vocalists, is do a covers album. Mm-hmm. And this is not a covers album. However, it is essentially a like blurred lines esque homage covers album. If that makes kind sense. of, it's like a concept album to. It's a concept album to doo wop music. It's yeah to a lot of a lot of different music. In fact, let's yeah. let's hear the beginning of the first song. I mean, you're getting, like, James Brown right off the bat. Absolutely. I mean, very... Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to talk all night. I'm a man who can't say no. Yeah. You don't... Other thing to think about as we hear yeah. this song, this song is about a gambling addict. Oh. Here's the thing. I don't know if that's true. But it's basically it's about it's about a guy that likes to gamble. Right. Like, listen, you don't have to twist my arm. Yeah. Just point me where you want. Just point me where you want me to go. Take me to the action. Take me to yeah. The track Tracked action. Yeah. Yeah. It's gambling. Yeah. It, I mean, it could be like a loose metaphor for like. It's a loose metaphor for satisfaction, right? Or for the payoff of satisfaction. Just basically like yeah. it's like someone that's like, I want to go out. I want. You know, just like I'm a man that can't hold back. Just, yeah, just take me there. Yeah. You know? um, um. Yeah, but yeah. Okay. So you said this. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about this. But the song, the the album is a concept album. But you mentioned this when we were talking earlier today. Mm-hmm. The album is not only a concept album. It is every song is uh, is listed. Yeah. As an homage to someone. So this song yeah. is called Easy Money. And then in parentheses, homage to James Brown and Wilson Pickett. Yeah. So which which is... I, I am taking this because it's on obviously Wikipedia that we're seeing this. I don't think it's there was like liner notes that officially talked about this being an homage. Right. But I, am... I but it does seem pretty accurate because I think this does sound like James Brown. Absolutely. Yeah. What's interesting about this is obviously, you know, we talked about Richie Kanata leaving the band. Yeah. Um <laughs> yes, totally. Which this kind of feels like you know, however he left it, this is like, oh man, this was the horn song. I, c- I could have stuck around for this. I mean, not only that, but we'll get to it later. There's an entire song yeah. called uh, Christy Lee. Oh yeah. It's about a woman falling in love with a saxophone player. I mean, I mean, that's Richie Kanata's song. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He's like out of the band and this is, this is Billy Joel just giving him FOMO. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, overall, I will say, I'm not going to use the words enjoy a lot on this podcast i don't think mm-hmm. but i did enjoy this song for what it was um there's a lot of a lot of songs by him that 
outright I wouldn't enjoy. And then when I look at them mm-hmm. as just like as like a, a study. Yeah. I, I I get this in that sense. Right. You know, it feels I mean, especially when you look at it like it's almost like a James Brown tribute. Um, I totally get that. Um, I think this is worth talking about quickly. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about it as we go through. But as we said, like this one is a uh, an homage to James Brown and Wilson Pickett. Yeah. Um, so the album is a concept album and it's a tribute to not only like the American doo-wop. Yeah. But it's the music of Billy Joel's adolescence. And yes. he has said he said that when he was recording this album, um, like, OK, at this point, it's yeah. 1983. Mm-hmm. Billy Joel's first album were coming out in the early 70s. Yeah. He's far past Piano Man. Right. He's very famous now. Yeah. He's also newly divorced from yeah. Elizabeth, his first wife. And Dayton Supermodels. Dayton Supermodels. Yeah. He's he's now dated Elle McPherson and yep. Christy Brinkley, yep. two of the biggest supermodels at the time. Oh, for sure. And he says, because of the experience, I felt like I was a teenager all over again. Hmm. And then he started writing songs in the same styles as the pop songs that he remembered from his teenage years. Right. So, so again, he's, he's like basically this is kind of like his midlife crisis album. And it's taken him back to like, yeah, like I don't know if it's technically a midlife crisis album, but it is kind of like I, I, I'm a kid again. Yeah. You know, and so he's like, what it would be like if you or I were like, I want to record a grunge album. Yeah, I just feel alive again, like I was in high school. Right. I want to make something like, like never mind. Right, you know, like it's, right. It's, but as we'll find, it's not just that the the genres he's hitting on this album go all over the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not this was very James Brown, and if you hear this is the first song, maybe you're expecting the entire album to have this vibe, and that is not the case. Um. All right. So so moving on. So easy money. Moving on. Okay. Yeah. Title track in Innocent Man. Mm-hmm. Here we go. I mean, already this sounds like Under the Boardwalk. Yeah. It also weirdly sounds like Steely Dan, Ricky Don't Lose That Number. Some people stay <laughs> does a little bit. So, yeah. It says in the, in the homage notes that we've been talking about, um, it says homage to Ben E. King mm-hmm. and the Drifters, which I don't know if you know what beach music is. Do you know what beach music is? Yeah. Like, like North Carolina, like shag music. Do you know what that is? No, that's I know that like of like like Dick Dale surf music. So that's a whole different thing than beach music. Okay, beach music. Well, from where I come from, so like, like Jimmy Buffett, mm, sort of. Okay, there's 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 a whole genre of beach music, like under the boardwalk, songs mm-hmm. like that. That is beach music that is regional to the, I guess, like the American South and Southeast. Yeah. Um, and there's groups like the Drifters. I don't know if the Drifters are an official beach music. Band, yeah, okay. But like they I know what you're fa- saying. They kind of fall into that, right? Um, and, okay. And there's a dance called shagging, which is like mm-hmm. it's like people would dance barefoot in the sand. Okay, it has nothing to do <laughs> not with Austin sex. Powers. It's not Austin Powers talking about uh, yeah, sex. Yeah, but <laughs> this this really kind of fits into some of that, at least in like the like that bass vibe. Okay. They hear a voice in the hall outside. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is like walking down the beach. There's candles, and you're kind of like. So, like, this is yeah, exactly. This is this is romantic. uh, Yeah, this is an homage to the Drifters. I'm gonna play a second of the Drifters under the boardwalk, which is a beach music song. Oh hell yeah. When the sun I mean, down and burns the top. so dead on. Totally. Yeah. Again, though, 
didn't record a cover of that song. No. Decided to basically make his own version of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's kind of, I'm trying to think if, let's think about this as we record, but if you can think of any artist who Mm -hmm. gets to a point in their career and it's like, I'm going to make an X album. Right. I'm going to make. Well, I mean, I thought about this, like, like Paul Simon makes Graceland and it's West African music, mm-hmm. but that's an entire album in that vein. This is very much like it's a concept album of sounds. I think. Yeah. But it's almost like it, it's almost like a third of a cover album in a way. Yeah. Not that I'm saying it's like takes less effort to come up with songs, but if you hear like, if you were recording a sound alike of something and you heard the original mm-hmm. and you were a good musician, you could write a song that kind of has the same vibe and it's probably pretty easy. Yeah. All right, let's go a little later in the song. I think it's after this. Yeah, there. Right there. Okay. All right, so that high note, obviously pretty up there for for Billy Joel. Uh, uptown boy over here. He, uh, he was quoted in 97... He said, I had a suspicion that this was going to be the last time I was going to be able to hit those notes. No way. So why not go out in a blaze of glory? That was the end of Billy's high note. Really? Yeah. That. So is that like the last time he hit something like that? I think it must be. It must have just been him saying, all right, like. Wow. It's it's like, it's like, you know, I mean, Jordan's final season. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, it's like a basketball player being like, all right, let's go for it. Because I don't know. I don't know. Let's let's do it. Let's get one more. Yeah, which is yeah. pretty amazing. Uh, okay, moving on to what I would consider. <sighs> I was going to say what I would consider a banger of this album. I don't yeah. know if this song is really a banger, but for this album. I mean, th- this song is the, like I just said, this is the childhood. This brings me back. It does. And I will also say this song is the inspiration, as we've said, for the first side wine. This is the longest time. Yeah. Our 19-year-old wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get into it. Uh, here we go. I mean, this is doo wop Joel. Yeah. For the longest time. So what's weird about this song is I I can't think of another song in the catalog that doesn't feel instantly iconic like this song does. Yeah. This song feels like, and I don't know if this is going to sound dumb, but there's certain songs that sound like they were already written. Mm. So like this song sounds like it always existed. If that makes sense. Like it was written on your heart. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know what you're saying. I guess, I guess like the thing that has been interesting to me about doing this podcast is I think you knew more about Billy Joel than I did. Yeah. But this is a song that I was like, Oh yeah, this is Billy Joel. And then I go back and listen to things, you know, like Rosalinda's eyes and I'm like, yeah, Oh, I never knew about all his like Cuban Spanish right. stuff, or like I had never had an idea of like, uh, like the Mexican connection, yeah, like, stuff like that. <laughs> Root beer rag. Root beer rag. Um, I think we should end every episode of this podcast with the eight bit version of Root beer rag. Of course. But like this song, this mm-hmm. is iconic Joel. I think like doo wop yeah. Joel became a like a stamp and a standard <clears throat> of doo wop uh, of Joel. Yeah, I I think this transcends it a little bit. I it is first of all, correct me if I'm wrong. It's fully a cappella. Mm-hmm. In a way, I don't think any other songs. Also, this song, this album probably has the least amount of piano. Yeah, totally. 
So yeah, this. So listen, I mean, you said it's fully acapella. This song it sounds fully acapella. I don't know. If there's fe- this song features Joel on lead vocals, all backing vocals. Oh wow! And all percussive sounds such as finger snaps and hand claps. It's like all him. Yeah. It's all him. <laughs> just picturing like just a bunch of hymns just back. It's like this is the movie Multiplicity. Yeah, with that Joel. wasn't what the music video was, but it could have been. However, however, uh, the only other instruments in the song are a bass guitar and snare drum being played with brushes. Okay, so it's that not, makes sense. It's not fully acapella, but it's it's mostly acapella. Boom, boom. So this is Mr. Sandman. Yeah. It's like from that vibe. Yeah. It's and, a, it, and this is going to, this might sound convoluted, but like when I hear Mr. Sandman, I think back to the future. Mm-hmm. Right. So that movie was, it took place in 1985 and they went back 30 years to 1955. Right. Right. So in a way, this song in my childhood mm-hmm. is a weird kind of time warp because it sounded like a, song from the 50s and it read to me who obviously didn't live in the 50s Mm -hmm. as a what the 50s sounded like even though it's technically a contemporary song it almost time warps you and and as a child hearing something that's referring to something from another time you you it gets conflated with everything from that time so to me if i heard this song and mr sandman they both evoke the same vibe right well because it's crazy yeah it's true it's because it is it's like basically based off of songs from the 50s yeah yeah totally it's like yeah and and it's a i guess in that in that sense it's a pretty pitch perfect send-up of of you know like songs from the fifties. Also, you know, you're talking about Back to the Future. I'm just yeah. going to show you a couple little snippets from the music video. It's Joel sitting at like a high school prom <clears throat> that looks like. I mean, it you looks. Don't be much longer, son. Nah, not much longer. <laughs> <laughs> he literally sounds like my version of him. Eh, not much longer. He just he's he's dressed up as an old man smoking a cigarette, yeah. and he's back at his like it looks like class reunion. Yeah. Yeah. He kind of. You know what? And then he, he hears. Kind of, he he kind hears of has all, like a Bobby Cannavale look going. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He, and he's seeing all his buddies come back from the class, and then he just starts. Singing. He just, dude. When Joel goes full Joel, yeah. it's he's like such a performer. He can't yeah. turn it off. But yeah, it's just them. It looks like they're at like if if the Back to the Future dance yeah. would have shut down. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And he stayed afterward, yeah. and he was an old man, and yeah. then he just starts singing with his old group, yeah. and then they kind of turn into the Jets. They shot at uh, Pratt Institute. It was shot at Pratt. Yeah, no way. Yeah, yeah. wow. Here, uh, in good old, here in good old Brooklyn. Yeah, uh, I I think this is an all time classic. I think it's one of his best songs. It kind of feels out of. It just feels like. This is exactly what he was trying to do this entire album, and he just succeeds. Yeah. And then he completely just ruins that goodwill with the next song, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) The song is called This Night. Yeah. Why they put this after Longest Time on the... It just doesn't make sense. It's uh, well, you know the other, you know the crazy thing about this song, uh-huh. that when they get to the chorus, the chorus uses uh, Beethoven's, it uses a sonata from Beethoven. Hmm. 
And so, and that's what you're, I think that's what you're hearing in the strings yeah. in the background. And the entire album is credited to Billy Joel, except for this night, credited to LV Beethoven. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Blame him for your mistakes. He's been dead <laughs> for 300 years. I don't enjoy this song. I mean, I, I, did they say it at the beginning? Hold on. Yeah, there's such a do 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 do. It's it's such a which like that doesn't have to be dork. Like if you ever listen to like TV on the radio, they do that, and it's amazing. Wait, what song do they do that in? I think it's Ambulance. Yeah. Oh wow. But like that's like doo wop vocal stylings. Yeah, but this is. But like... this has like a weird, <clears throat> creepy. Yeah, it's kind of. So yeah, I, it's not inherently dorky. It's not inherently dorky, but I think when you do it, you imagine Billy Joel being like full pompadour, and and like a bunch of guys behind him that are session musicians. That oh he, yeah, that he's like <clears throat> to be like do 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 do. Yeah, like it. It just it. <laughs> we we said this earlier, but like this album is full Boomer Joel. Yeah, and uh, and and the thing is, I bet you when it came out. Some people loved this night. I don't know. I don't know how you... There's way better versions of this, even on this album. I mean, The Longest Time is a great example. Uh, yeah. Longest Time works. Yeah. This just feels like filler. Yeah. And it feels like really bad filler. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. You want to move to the to the end of side A? Yeah. Um, we're almost done with this wine. This with wine, wine has been delightful. By this the wine way. has been great. You, the thing you said about the fact that there's no aftertaste is really true. Yeah, it's it's good. It drinks like a Chablis. It does drink like a Chablis. It ages like a Chablis. Mm. All right. Well. All right. Um, I think we're coming to I would say one of the most popular Joel songs there is, especially in this era of Joel, which I find strange as well. But here we go. Yeah. Okay, as soon as that starts, you know what I get? Katrina and the Waves. Oh, yeah. Sunshine. Definitely. You know? I, I got to say, like, he, <laughs> for someone who's like, this takes me back to my childhood, like it or hate it, he sounds so happy on this album. Yeah. He sounds like he's just elated to just do this stuff. I mean, it's basically... He's like, I'm one of the most popular artists in the world. I just got divorced. I'm banging supermodels. <laughs> Fuck it. I'm I mean, just gonna. A, I'm gonna just do it. It's exactly that. Yeah. Like it's. It does sound like someone's just like lining up rails in the back of the studio. Like, <laughs> yeah, man. Let's roll another take, uh, Billy. Let's do whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, he's having a blast. So like. Listen, boy, I, don't see you let it go I, I like. I remember my parents like, yeah. like grooving around the house of this when I was. See, but I don't. This this doesn't feel canonical to me, and I know. So, all right, here's a bit of trivia for you. You might you might know this. Billy Joel has had three number one hits. Okay. Number one singles. Can you guess what they are? I will give you a hint. One of them has not happened yet in the discography. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I brought it up. Um, so this is one of them. Piano Man. Piano Man is not the other one. Is it off of Turnstiles? It is off of it's not Glass in... Houses. It's off of what? Yeah. It's off of Glass Houses. Oh, and it's it's not waiting for Lena. <laughs> no. Okay, I don't know what it is. It's still rock and roll to me. Oh, 
yeah, yeah. that makes sense. The yeah. other one that hasn't happened yet, when I say it, you'll be like, oh, yeah, of course, is we didn't start the fire. Oh, yeah. Of course. And you know, of course, yeah. Um, that's, but that but, is, that's but kind of, I was trying to get there. The headline of this entire thing is the third number one song that Billy Joel has had is Tell Her About It. I mean, that, that makes total sense. That makes no sense to me. That makes total sense. And that this we might have just tapped into something because we've always talked about like, you know, we're both East Coast, but like northern, you know, New York tri-state area Billy Joel fan versus, you know, contemporary. Yeah. You know, this is this to me. This is, was never a song. There, I have this like theory. I mean, everyone will probably tell me I'm wrong, but like, eh, this is like okay, but a number one single, well, insane. I think what you got to think about is there's two songs on this album I would assume are more popular than this song. It was a culturally big song. Yeah, it's like something that everyone kind of rallied around at that time. Also, this is the other thing you got to think about: music, like culture, kind of repeats itself every twenty to twenty-five years. This comes out in '83. Uh huh. So you're looking at 50s doo-wop yeah. is kind of like what classic rock was because right. that long ago. Okay. So at that point in American culture, people are like, oh, 50s doo-wop is yeah. like, yeah, that's kind of like, our, that's like the classic of like, that's like the good old days kind of songs. It's kind of like how now grunge, like it, it makes right. sense that grunge and like Cobain, all that stuff is having such a resurgence because... That we're hitting that cycle. We're hitting that cycle. It's yeah. like when it's like when you and I were in high school. You you know it was more like Black Sabbath. Yeah, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Like yeah. that kind of thing. And it's Doors. like yeah. So you're hitting that cycle, yeah. possibly in the '80s of that, like the nostalgia, the nostalgia cycle. Yeah, yeah. So before we head off to break, I, I you know obviously I I've been saying that I don't think this song is really. It just I'm I'm surprised that this song is like up there for you. Mm-hmm. And in general, but just a little evidence on my side, um, and this is from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. I'm sure we could go to uh, setlist.fm and find out for sure. Or but we could just change it in Wikipedia. Oh, yeah, let's do it that. now. Yeah. Um, it's all, yeah. Uh, the song was played regularly during the Innocent Man and Bridge tours, but was dropped and has not been played live since 1987. Get out of here. Yeah. Dude, if we... It is one of the very few major hits across his career he no longer plays in concert. Does it say why? I don't know. Maybe he knows it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, we'll be back with Side B. Okay. Uh, we'll see you in a second. We're back, Bill. Um, yes, we're about to start side B. We are indeed of an innocent man. Mm-hmm. Um, we're about to go into our next song, but before we do that, we have a side B wine. We sure do. Um, not as long a time as the white, but it has been there for quite a long time since 2012. Ooh, that's that's still 11, 11 years. Eleven years. Yeah. Well, Catherine. Why don't you tell us about this wine? So the second wine for the B-side is a 2012 Gattinara. This is using the Nebbiolo grape. Um, in the area where it's made, it is called Spana, it is Nebbiolo. Um, this is the grape that you've 
find in Barolo and Barbaresco and Carema in Valtellina and um, kind of scattered around nor Northwest Italy for the most part. It's a, a grape that can make wines of um, litheness and polish and you know a lot of excitement in their younger years but really it's something to look at um, its capability when it comes to aging uh, nebbiolo based wines when they're made in the right way in the right place in the right vintage can age for plenty of decades um, so this one is quite young and I think it's really just like just about ready to to enjoy right now this is coming from Alta Piemonte, so this is uh, further north of Barolo and Barbaresco. Cold, high elevation, absolutely perfect conditions for this grape. You know, in its youth, which I would say in 2012, it is still youthful. You're getting these lovely kind of um, soft leather and, um, you know, the classic tar and roses, but this really lovely, like, iron-rich note. Um, again, really, really nice and polished, really nice and chiseled, but at the same time, there there is some pleasant rusticity to it, just the right amount. I, um, I hope you got to enjoy this. Pop it. Popped a lot easier than the 2004. Yes. That's for sure. Yes. Less time, less pop. Less time, less pop. All right. So we're getting into um, side B. We're excited to taste this Nebbiolo, an Italian grape. Mm -hmm. Nebbiolo. Love a Nebbiolo. You know what else I love that's kind of close to Nebbiolo? Yes. A Nero Davola. A what? A Nero Davola. Oh, yeah. Another good. Cheers. One. Cheers, buddy. I mean, give it a smell. That is some red fruit. Ooh. Mmm. That is very tasty. And also, again, it resolves itself very quickly. It does. It's got more tannins. It dries the tongue a little bit. And you it has more tannins, but the fruit. tannins feel broken down. That's like the age of it. That's true. It just kind of very quickly. That's true. Very good wine. Got some cherry in there, a little blackberry, almost some cranberry. Um, really good. Um, okay, side two. Uh, okay, first song mm -hmm. I mentioned, is this the gas station video? Yes, it is. <clears throat> this is the gas station video. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and say, we, mm -hmm. we, we, I don't think we've necessarily mentioned jersey boys but since this is oh his, yeah like, 50s do up this is a jersey boys song this oh is, for sure this is frankie valley based mm -hmm. i think so many people have heard this one i know that we talk a lot about streaming yeah you're not a huge fan of spotify which you have your arguments and they make sense yeah i don't know what the numbers would be on apple music but uh on spotify this song has 626 million plays wow and i guarantee it has just as many on on uh, apple yeah but if it's just as many, then Philly made more money off of it than Spotify. I mean, that's true. If, it, if, it's, if it's that many plays, yeah. he, he made like 30 cents on it on Spotify. Yeah. As opposed to... This is classic doo-wop, Joel. Yeah. I mean, they all are, but this, I feel like, is the classic doo-wop yeah. song. I mean, this is such a departure from the last... Like, this is just such a different era... I mean, like, what? So the last one we did was freaking. We all go down together. Yeah. Good night, Saigon. And then like a uh, seven-minute Beatles like pastiche about about doing heroin. Yeah. And then you just start dating some supermodels, and you're like, oh, oh. I a Backstreet guy. Yeah. 
I mean, this song is about... It's catchy as hell. It's really catchy. Yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. There's something about it. Like, I, if we were just focusing on the first part of his catalog and, like, someone would say, oh, you're doing Billy Joel? Oh, it's kind of cheesy. I'd be like, nah, man. But this album kind of proves... Like, I, I agree. I mean, like, look, if you were... I know that you're not a big musical theater guy, but if you were going to go see a musical... Moving out, Anthony song. <laughs> Wait, was that a musical? Yeah, they made. That a, was they there was a, a Billy Joel jukebox there musical. Was, that's right. That's right. Moving, Moving out, out Anthony song. But if you were going to go see a musical, just uh, I don't know if you know any that are out right now. But like, yeah. what would you go see? I have uh, the. Uh, I recently saw the Music Man. Okay, that's a musical. Was it good? It was great. Hugh Jackman. He's got a huge Jackman. Sutton Foster. Yeah, definitely. Great. My point is. You would probably go see one of those. You're not going to go see Jersey Boys. No. And that's the thing. Jersey Boys is this because yeah. Jersey Boys, it like people of the generation who were probably right. in their 30s or 40s when this album came out. Yeah. They Jersey Boys is made for them. Yeah. And this is Jersey Boys. And I think this album sort of evokes a good old days thing. It's like the version of the 50s that is like, you know. Guy, like there's guys in pompadours that are roughing people up. Yeah, it's like everyone's just getting in scuffles and drinking too much soda pop. Right, like that, that's <laughs> what like that's what this album is. Yeah, and it's got kind of this like you know, you know life I mean, was peachy keen. Yeah, I mean you know, this whole you'd this park whole... your two cars in the garage and every Thursday get under your desk because the Ruskies were gonna vaporize you with an atomic <laughs> bomb. <laughs> exactly, but like, but but there there is a real innocence in this album. Yeah. Like, I mean, this song is about like being like, oh, she's an upper, she's an Upper East Side girl. Yeah. I'm a dude from, I'm like a dude from downtown. Yeah. But he, but he's not Velvet Underground. Right. Downtown. He's no. Like, I'm, he's like, I'm from Hoboken. Yeah. You know, or like, I'm, I'm, a, or I'm a dude living in Long Island. He's Billy Joel. Yeah. And, and it's kind of like, I'm, I'm a scrappy blue collar guy who I can get dressed up and I can get dressed yeah. up and I can date the uptown girl. Yeah. You watch out or I'm going to beat up that soda jerk and take his 10 cents and buy my mommy a flower. Exactly. It's yeah. absolutely that. Yeah. My, my, my. You know, it's funny. You, you I think you just kind of, you probably knew this is probably a known thing, but I think you just kind of nailed what the title of this album means. Because hmm. I think you hear it, and especially with a song, it's like, oh, an innocent man, like, not guilty. Yeah. You know? But no, it's, it's this is his innocence. He, yeah. He's going back to the era of innocence. Yeah, that's true. Like, he's being, you know, he, this is when music was not much more than just, you know, singing about the girl you like. And, and, and in a way... Even though that's not what his original music sounded like, he kind of does retain that in his earlier albums. Mm -hmm. His earlier albums are just like, I'm just a guy from Long Island here to play the piano. Yeah, it's but I got a chip on my shoulder. And now he doesn't. He's like, I don't have a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. I'm dating supermodels. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, marrying supermodels. They're going to be in these music videos because life is good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah you're right. If you think about it, like, up, the angry young man's gone. Yeah. He's not in this at all. No. Yeah, totally. And, and what's left of him is the downtown boy. Yeah. You know, he, oh, I come from this rough background. But, like, that's all that's left of the angry young man. Yeah, totally. 
was happening. You know so, what? This is, before we move on to the song, I just, as a little footnote, I think the thing that perfectly sums up this song as kind of the uncool version of nostalgia is there's a Simpsons episode where like Homer finds out that his mom was a hippie. Mm-hmm. So he like gets down to his roots and he like meets up with their hippie friends and they like brew juice or something. <laughs> but every time he wants to, he, every time he wants to like hang out with them, he, uh, here, I'll, I'll play the clip. So they're driving along. Never gonna freak anybody out with this music. I brought something from my personal stash that'll blow the mind. <laughs> That's <laughs> he's just he's just playing the air guitar. Dude, that is that is what this is. Yeah. That is parents thinking like this yeah. is this is some, <laughs> this is some hot stuff. Yeah. It's absolutely that. All right. Uh Uptown Girl. All right, now we're moving on to um Another song mm-hmm. on side B called Careless oh, Talk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like. You know who it's an homage to? Who sung Under the Boardwalk? Um, <clears throat> I was thinking of uh, Otis Redding. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of. Like, st- try a little tenderness. Well, I was thinking of. Uh... That's what I said. Sitting on the dock of the bay. You just said try a little tenderness. No. Oh, sitting on the dock of the bay is not under the boardwalk. No. No. Uh, I don't. I guess because uh, one. You get, I guess you're sitting near water. That's why. I do. That's why I completed those two. In my head, I'm like, no, it is that song, and I'm just picturing the same guy. With like seagulls floating by, and one of them he's under, and one of them he's yeah, this on is under, the edge of the boardwalk. This is under the boardwalk that we listened to earlier. Yeah. So, sitting on the dock of the bay is what I meant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they should have done a song where, like, halfway through they realize that one of them's sitting above the other, and they start going, "Hey, I'm trying to sing a song." <laughs> but this is this is careless talk. Listen, listen in the background. You hear like a do ba do ba. I mean, it's it's uh. <laughs> it's just some guy who wandered into the studio. Just goes, just grabs him. Hey man, kick him out of our. No, he's he's part of the studio. He comes in, he wanders in. Um, I mean, you know what's funny is like I feel like we've talked about lyrics on so many other albums. This this one, other than themes, I don't really care about any of the lyrics on this album. But, but no, you're right. I think it's because I think it's because of the it, way the songs are. It's because they're just all these like kind of pastiche like like if you and I recorded a song right now called '80s song, right? And it was just like it was just making fun of like '80s music. Yeah, we would just say a bunch of stuff. Wouldn't matter. It would just like have Which a vibe. Essentially, of... we didn't start the fire. Well, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's not what you're saying. You're saying, that, yeah, you're... I know what you mean, but no, I'm just saying, it's like, it's not a song about the '80s. It's a song of the style of the '80s, is what you're saying. Yeah, or maybe like '70s is a better. Ver- like, if you were like, 
if a modern band was like, here's our prog song, they'd just be like, and the sun goes, and lords come. They would just sing about nonsense, and you wouldn't care, but you would understand the idea of right. what they were singing about. And I think that the, that's what this is, is like, yeah, I'm just singing about 50s-esque stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is like careless talk is going on about around the streets. Jealous talk. I know how bad it can be. Mm-hmm. Jealous talk. Talking, talking. Gooba, gooba, gooba. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 literally... It's yeah. I don't mean this in like a bad way, but it's kind of a it's a vapid song lyrically, yeah. Because it's just more an exercise in style. So that I think that's where this album's like margin of error is so big because it's like you're trying to do this style, and you're also trying to write original songs. You're not covering songs, so that when you nail it and it's a good song, it's like you you did it. But then when it's not, it's just pointless. It's like a useless attempt at an old sounding song that you kind of just want to throw away. But yeah. I feel like that that's what the misses on this album feel like. They're not yeah. interesting misses no. because they're just bad versions of 50s music. You know what song that I'm going to say some people call a miss mm-hmm. or some people say they don't know what's happening, yeah. but I think it's a is a it's a nice it's it's just a it's a full shot. Mm-hmm. Root Beer Rag. <laughs> it is. You're right. Root Beer Rag is he's like, I'm going to play a freaking... Scott Joplin. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I'm going to play a player piano song. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, man, at least you like went for it. Like hardcore. You know? Yeah. All right. Next song. Next song, I, I'm going to refer to it before we play it as the Ballad of Richie Cannata. Yeah, this has like Chuck Berry vibes. Yeah, this is so. Yeah, this is definitely uh, so. It's a uh, it's supposedly an homage to Little Richard or Jerry Lee Lewis, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it it's an homage to them. And it is um, it's uh, yeah, it's good golly, Miss Molly. Yeah, yeah. it's absolutely great. Yeah, great, great call. Yeah, it's that. I mean, this is where we keep falling on some of these songs. It's. <sighs> They're they're just like they're stylistic experiments. Yeah, you know, like there's not a ton. I mean, like here, let's go through a little more of it. Yeah. You know what we're kind of missing a little bit, and is that I think as music evolves, <clears throat> you get you get things in music where, um, you know, like. I love Buddy Holly. Right. Buddy Holly songs are, are are usually pretty simple. The things that makes them really great is that it's Buddy Holly. Right. And it's his heart and it's his voice and it's it's his soul going into it. Yeah. Um that's what you like about Billy Joel. When yeah. you get Billy Joel, when you get Piano Man, yeah. when you get Captain Jack. This feels like him that stuff. This playing feels like a character. Him, yeah, this feels yeah. like this feels like Billy Joel playing a musical of 50s yeah. people. We're saying this after An Innocent Man, The Longest Time, Uptown Girl. Yeah. Tell her about it. Those are clearly Billy Joel classics. Yeah. I mean, who are we to be like? Sure. I this don't. Is a, but, I, but I think if we're going through the catalog of Billy yeah. Joel as someone who has learned more and more about him and experienced him again, the soul has changed a little bit. I think the misses on this album are more damaging than the hits. Right. And I think that it it it's kind of like a point of no return. I think constraints are good for creativity. Yeah, I think 
in this one, it's kind of like the constraints are so outside of who he is. Yeah. You know what's crazy is this album feels like an experiment, with his, which is a really worthy experiment. But what happened was because he's so good, the experiment produced a lot of really popular stuff. Yeah. And it produced things that you were like, oh, that's Billy Joel. So, so that brings us back to what I was saying earlier, which is like, was it really an experiment or was this something that he just did as a stopgap? And I, and I, I came across... This doesn't have any quotes in it, but this is All Music's review. Um, and the first quote of the All Music review is, Recording the Nylon Curtain exhausted Billy Joel, and even though it had a pair of major hits, it didn't rival its predecessors in terms of sales. Since he labored so hard on the record, he decided it was time for a break. It was time to record an album just for fun. And that's how this innocent man came about. Interesting. So if that's to be taken from any context of interviews or how he actually felt... Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was this was him doing experiments just to talk. We li- literally earlier today you mentioned uh, the Beastie Boys mix up album. Mm-hmm. That that is also an experiment. Totally, it's them deciding to do kind of their own version of analog funk. Play an play a completely instrumental. Yeah, it instruments based record. And I think that that album, which I think is fantastic, it's super good. But I think it it saddles itself it preemptively cushions itself with its own expectations by saying it's this and i think the problem with it innocent man is that it tries to have it both ways it tries to be this experimental thing that he tossed off in 11 months and it also tries to be the next you know single generating billy joel album yeah which it was yeah but i think something got lost and i and i wonder how much of that comes from just expectations versus reality to bring another example from this exact same time era that actually like, I think nails it. So Neil Young, Mm -hmm. huge artist in the seventies, late sixties into Mm seventies has arguably one of his biggest albums. Harvest goes on, does like four very well-regarded albums goes on, does a couple more. He gets signed to Geffen, David Geffen's record company. Mm -hmm. One of the albums he puts out for Geffen is called Neil Young and the Shocking Pinks. Mm-hmm. And it's basically him doing like 50s garage rock. And Geffen sued him for basically being in breach of contract for not sounding enough like Neil Young. That's crazy. Because he signed a contract with them that was basically like, you know, I'm a huge star. You're going to release my next three albums. And they sued him because they're like, well, you're recording albums that don't sound like you. So, no. I mean, some of that is just stylistic changes. Yeah. But, like, how uh, the people who are, like, paying the bills, how much are they going to trust that this audience is going to follow these stylistic changes Mm -hmm. versus how much are these changes in the sense of, like, what an innocent man is, how much are they maybe possibly doing damage to the brand in a way that won't be known for years? Yeah. Like, you can have an album like An Innocent Man. It can do really well. It can have one of the three number one singles. Mm-hmm. It can be, by all metrics, a success, mm-hmm. but it could also be the thing that drives fans away and makes it so that Billy Joel goes from, like the top of the heap to a husband. But this is what... It can be both things. So, but the weird thing is, I don't know if this drove hardcore Joel fans away, 
I, think I it, don't, but I, I do think know it made like, him age worse with younger people. Sure, I do know that like years later, people who just gut reaction don't like jo- Billy Joel. It's because of this. But I think you're right. I think this people be like, but what was all that doo wop crap? Yeah, you know, no, they do. Yeah. All right, we got we, that was a very cool tangent, but we <laughs> we got to continue on. All right, so that was Christy Lee. Next song, leave a tender moment alone. Um, homage to Smokey Robinson mm-hmm. is what it kind of comes out as. Yeah. We live in a weird time of ironicism. Irony? Irony. <laughs> we, live in a, we live in a weird time of irony where um, it's, it, it's easy to like, I think there's a lot of people that could hear Smokey Robinson's music and just be like, "Man, that's cheesy," mm-hmm. and and not and not really respect the craft yeah. and artistry of someone like Smokey Robinson. Mm-hmm. I think at the same time, there's a lot of people that could love Smokey Robinson the same way that I think a lot of people love Sade in ways that sure. is, is very ironic, where they're not actually appreciating it. Yeah. And I think a song like this kind of hits on these things where I'm like, this hits on the parts of someone like Smokey Robinson. Yeah. But it doesn't really bring through the things that are great about Smokey Robinson. Because I think if someone was just like completely writes off Smokey Robinson, Uh you're you're not seeing Smokey Robinson. No. Smokey Robinson is a legend. Oh, yeah. But it's, but it is, it would be easy to be like, Whatever, man. That's just this like weird, like yeah. easy music. And yeah. I think I think this is like kind of like it's like a weak tea version of it. Yeah. You know? Totally. And I think all all culture is recursive. It all kinda copies itself until either it mutates into something new or it kind of just becomes iron irony. It becomes ironic. Yeah. Ironicism. So, ironicity. Mm-hmm. Ironicity. Ironosaurus. <clears throat> anyway, yeah. yeah. But in general, look, in general, this to me is a, is another blessed song. I don't know what is that a saxophone? Is that a harmonica? I think it's a harmonica. It's a harmonica. Toots Thielmans. He's a Belgian jazz musician. He is, um, he's he's a you know incredibly famous musician. He's playing harmonica on this. Hmm. Here's the thing, the thing about all these, it's I, I want to be very careful about saying uh, hmm. you know whatever because it's like so much artistry is put into these songs. Sure, it just it. I think it's what we said earlier. It doesn't come through with like the heat of Joel that comes through. You're a musician. You're putting out an album. The goal is I want to get a hit single. So right. mo- nine out of ten times, the goal is I'm going to come up with a sound or a hook or something that makes people like, oh, my God, this is the new thing. We haven't heard this before. This is great. But- In this case, the goal is to sound like something else. Yeah. And I'm saying, yes, tons of artistry goes into that. Mm-hmm. A lot of effort goes into that. Mm-hmm. But like... Much like if I wanted to like write the great Gatsby and I basically like took five months and I just completely retyped it word for word. I just 
copied it from a book and retyped it. Mm. That would take a lot of effort. Mm. But what's the point? I don't know. That to me is like, there's homage. There's covers, Mm -hmm. which is also homage. And then there's like, there are ways to make it new. And I don't know that this album most... uh, it's weird because I'm looking back at the track list and I'm like, An Innocent Man. An Innocent Man is kind of its weirdly own song. Yeah. But I'm like, Tell Her About It, Uptown Girl. <sighs> Effectively, those are kind of bangers in their own right. They're yeah. not my bangers. No, but they are bangers. But they're a little bit of bangers. Yeah. Um, but you get to these, the B-sides. Yeah. Like, I feel like the B-sides, like, what is, oh, what is the one off of... Um, uh, like woman, woman in Nevada. What is that song? Oh, stop in Nevada. Stop in Nevada. Yeah. Like stop in Nevada. I mean, that's, that's a great song. Weird ass B side, yeah. but like it's definitely its own song. Yeah, but like it's more of a B side. Like it, like at least it's got a strange, weird story. Leave a tender moment alone. I'm like, yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's, it just, it's it, a Smoky it, it Robinson. Just washes song. over you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, last song. Which I, last song I would argue, kind of a banger. Last song I feel like is a little bit of a redemption. Here we go. If it seems like I've been lost in, let's remember. It doesn't sound like the rest of the album, in my opinion. When you mentioned Paul Simon, there's something about yeah. this that has a little bit of a Paul Simon feel to me. This is the first song that we really heard that it like you could play you could play one song from each Billy Joel album and you could track something. This would be the first one that kind of feels like the next logical step from from Nylon Curtain. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get it. Yeah. So there's a thing that I read that was saying. This is partially an homage to Betty Wright's Clean Up Woman. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Which is, this is one of the biggest samples in hip-hop. What, what sample is this? It's in a chant song. It's in a remix of Real Love from Mary J. Blige. Yeah. Uh, it's in a Lady Gaga song. It's in an Avicii song. It also says that it yeah. was a, it was an homage to the pre-British invasion, like pre-Beatles British music, which I got to like be Mercy, honest. Mercy Beat? Uh, maybe. I mean, yeah. it, it, it has a little bit of a, like, it's got kind of like a Caribbean vibe kind of to it, too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, and lyri- look, lyrically, it's kind of, it's about him basically saying, like, hey, I grew up in these times. This, this is what it meant to be cool in the 50s. I'm keeping that a lot. I'm keeping it. I'm 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 still that kind of cool even though I'm a little older. Which is yeah. like the most boomer statement ever, which is like our generation was the best. You know what's crazy is like Billy Joel has all these things from his from his earlier albums and from his childhood and I feel like a lot of this album is him finally coming to the point where he's like, yeah, I'm making those dreams come true. That's right. what a lot of this album is. It's him making those childhood dreams come true and being like, yeah, being like, I was this kid, you know, like, oh, what's the song with uh, Doug Stegmeier's Corvette? Like, oh, uh, yeah, moving out, moving out. It's like there's all these things where he is like, oh, you know, you have these fast cars and stuff. 
he's there now. He's like, he's hit that point with this album. He's dating supermodels. It falls into a place where, yeah, it, it's a it's a hard place to be. You're in the place where like you yeah. you you kind of you kind of hit the peak and you've right. got the money. And then, you don't have to do anything. No. But a lot of people want you to do something to make a lot of money for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we, were, we were listening to the song earlier, and there's a lyric in the song that uh, I think we have, to, we have to talk about. It's a very strange lyric. It's also crazy because the lyric doesn't come at the end of the song. It no, it's like, it's like buried in the middle, and it, it's worth... You know, he's talking about his childhood. He's talking about his teen years and what it was like and, you know, the fun stuff he did. Yeah, I mean, it's a song about his childhood. Yeah. Took a fresh pack of luckies and a mint called Sensen. Stealing cigarettes. Old man's Trojans and his old spice out the shade. Okay, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) He he says he's talking about kind of like getting ready for a date or something. Yeah. Stealing the stuff out of his dad's house. And then he says... Okay. My old man's Trojans and his Old Spice aftershave. I get you're going on a date. You don't have cologne. You're going to wear your dad's cologne. (laughs) Sure, it's something you look back on. You're like, okay. But taking your dad's condoms for your date... Is just there's so many questions I have. Is this a thing where okay, this album comes out in 1983. Uh huh. We live in a (laughs) place. I'll say this: we live in a post Madonna world. Yeah. You and I both grew up around the 90s. Yeah. Madonna was a big Madonna, Salt and Pepper. Yeah. uh, TLC. Yeah. All big public pop music safe sex advocates. Sex positive. Sex positive. Yeah. They're like get condoms out there. Yep. Um, and so is, is, is he coming from a place where he's like, it's 1983, it's 10 years before all that stuff. It's, it's not easy to get condoms. I stole my dad's condoms. Does your dad just have condoms at 83? No, it brings up so many questions. First of all, why are you stealing your dad's condoms? Second of all, why did your dad have condoms? Were you a mistake? Also, Billy Joel's Catholic. (laughs) Yeah. Is there a whole deal where it's like dad yeah. under the table condoms? Right. Catholics aren't supposed it, to use Is he essentially condoms? saying his dad has like a girl on the side and he's keeping condoms for her? I don't know. So I have a story for my my adolescence, I guess. Oh, hell yeah. So I had a, <clears throat> I had a friend uh, I used to go over and hang out with, you know, and we just would get up to we were like 13, 14 years old. And one day... This friend of mine, like, we were hanging out in his den or something, and he, like, he goes, hey, come here, come here. So we go in, and we walk into his parents' bedroom. And I'm like, uh-oh. And, like, looking back on it, like, this is, like, the classic story of, like, you find a gun and something terrible happens. But it wasn't that. He goes to his parents, and he goes, check this out. And he opens up a drawer, and he pulls a crofts, and there's a pack of condoms. And, like, I'd never seen condoms before. Mm-hmm. And he goes, like, oh, look at these. And, like, I think he like takes one out and like is looking at it and everything. And no joke, his dad bursts in as we're doing this and says something that I think is maybe one of the funniest things I've ever heard, which is, stop it. Those are for me and your mother. 
Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just. And this song made me think of that. <laughs> Those are for me and your mother. Oh, man. I mean, I feel like <laughs> if I was in that thing, I would just be like, hey, what are you kids doing? Here? <laughs> Maybe you guys should go outside and play some baseball. <laughs> Oh, it's just so funny, dude. That's wild. So I don't know. I mean that that line. I don't think anyone's ever. I've never read anything about it. It just kind of slips in there. It is very weird because the rest condom. of the song. The rest of the song is like, learned stickball as a formal education. Mm-hmm. Lost a lot of fights. I heard about sex, but not enough. I found out you could dance and still look tough, which is kind of like goes back yeah. to the like uh, doo-wop doo-wop. Yeah. Like, oh, you can dance, but you can look tough. And then it's like, I found out being a man ain't just being macho, ate a lot of awful late night driving food, mm-hmm. drank a lot of take home pay, which is just like, I think just spending your money, spending on money on beer. Yeah. Uh, I thought I was the the Duke of Earl, uh, yeah. made it with a red haired girl yeah. in the Chevrolet, which also, mm-hmm. Uh, I believe the red-haired girl in the Chevrolet, I think, was played by Christy Brantley. Yes, she was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. But you know, it's like it's a it's a lot of kind of like a little bit of loss of innocence, but also kind of yeah. like wink at boys will be in boys. America. Yeah, boys will be boys kind of stuff. Except, <laughs> except you're stealing your dad's condoms. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you're like with a girl and she's like, oh, "Okay, this is gonna work out." Okay, do you have a condom? And you're like, "Yes." I got one from my dad. <laughs> That's just a mood killer right there. I mean, for real. Oh, man. For real. Um, totally. Anyway. All right. B- before we wrap things up, I, 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 wanted, to, I wanted to bring something up. Um, last episode, we ended with a Will Ferrell sketch right. from SNL. And I think he was actually promoting this movie, which is why he was on SNL. But in the movie Step Brothers... Mm-hmm. There's a scene at the end of the movie. You've seen the movie? Yes. Uh, there's a scene at the end where they're at the Catalina wine mixer. And they're doing a big thing, and like, it's Will Ferrell's job to like organize this event and not screw it up. And he hires a Billy Joel cover band. But the joke is that it's a '80s only Billy Joel cover band. So they only play music from the '80s. They're called mm-hmm. Uptown Girls, and. In the clip, I think it's so Horatio Sands is like the main singer and, and Matt Walsh is in the audience and he just starts getting really upset that they are only playing Eddie's Joel. We strictly do 80s Joel music, sir. <laughs> Like that's the plot moment that like derails this party. Is that this band only plays eighties Joel, and that this guy is just angry that they won't play it, and that I just love that Horatio Sands is just politely saying, "Sir, sir, we only do eighties Joel," (laughs) and to me that sums up like, yeah, these songs were hits. It was a number one single, but like no one's asking for 80s Joel nowadays. I think that kind of sums it up that like this album is a sea change. Yeah. Where 
that line where Matt Matt Walsh yeah is is like he where he's like play something for the stranger <laughs> like there is a thing where it's like like you got you got um root beer rag yeah <laughs> you got you got piano man but you've got the stranger you've yeah. got that stuff and then yeah you've got this and someone's like I don't want to hear that weird doo-wop thing but this <laughs> this album kind of catapulted him in further oh yeah it catapulted him further <clears throat> in popular culture yeah. and I think <coughs> I think what you said is earlier that is true is that people kind of maybe remember him more for this right and may, more for we'll get to it but yeah we didn't start the fire yeah and they kind of forget about some of the earlier Joel yeah <sighs> well all right that was innocent man it was uh where do where do we go from here? I think Bridge is next. So eighty three is Innocent Man. Yeah. Um, eighty five. Joel comes out with greatest hits. Yeah. One and two. Which <laughs> we're not doing because I don't know what we would do. No, because it'd be everything we've already covered. But it is one of the top selling albums of all time. Which is pretty crazy. I think so. It's that- odd that we're skipping. One of the top albums of all time. I think it's pretty interesting that we, I mean, it, it almost might be worth a small episode. Sure. Just, just to say. We um, could do a best of of our episodes where we just like. Just clip that stuff out, bro. <sighs> but I do think it it's interesting that like we have a three year gap. Yeah. Between albums coming up. And, yeah. And it's because he releases the best of. He ends up doing the Russia album. Yeah. Like Rush albums after the bridge. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But he does that tour in between, right? Yeah, yeah. So the next, the next full new album is the bridge. Yeah. All right. Well, um, what a journey! Oh my god, <sighs> what a doo wop journey. Mm-hmm. Um, well, next time we will talk about the bridge. Yep. We'll see if we're going to talk about. The best of the greatest hits. Yeah, and um, we'll be talking about the the live Russia album, which we're very excited to talk about because some great things happen on that tour. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this has been bottle of white, bottle of red. It has. And um, hey, I hope that you're keeping the faith. Use your dad's condoms. <laughs> This has been Bottle of White, Bottle of Red, hosted by Bill Granberg and Corey Cabin. The podcast is produced by Jeremy Balin. If you enjoyed this episode, check us out on the socials at Rosé Instead. That's Rosé underscore Instead on Instagram and Twitter. The podcast is part of the Seltzer Kings Network. For more information on the wines featured in this podcast, check out Celery.com. That's C-E-L-L-A-R-Y dot com. Thanks for listening. Do ba 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 do ba